Welcome to the Practice Squad Podcast, episode 26. My name is John. I am joined by my co-host, Mark. And, you know, Mark, last week I made the take that championship week is more enjoyable for a football fan than the Super Bowl. And I think in, you know, 22 out of my, like, 24 years of life, that was probably the case. This past week, it kind of had me feeling a little bit deflated, right? And it's not that I didn't enjoy the games, but I think two main things kind of came out of this week, and neither of them really related to good football. It was officiating, and it was the 49 Injuries, yeah. Injuries, right? Yeah. The first game sucked, John. The first game sucked. Um, You know, it starts – you start to wonder and ask yourself, is it worth the NFL – allowing more roster spots or, you know, especially for high injury positions, like, you know, a quarterback where there's only two guys dressed. Um, right. I mean, not even talking, high injury, but just high, like high risk, right? High, high risk and, and not a lot of depth, right? You dress yeah. two guys and one guy goes down, the other guy goes down like a quarter later. And all of a sudden you have Christian McCaffrey trying to play quarterback in a billion dollar league. Like, yeah. That it's, I don't know. I feel like there's ways around that, but it right. sucked. It ruined the like game. A 56 man roster, 58 man roster. I'm not sure. It's been the Lions even had a similar trouble where they lost so many people in their defensive backfield against the Patriots that they were putting linebackers out on man coverage. Like, yeah. I mean, there's there's only so much you can do in reference to that. I get it. Like injuries do happen, but at the same time, like you said, it's a billion dollar league. There's millions and millions of people watching. Like you got to give us a game if two quarterbacks go down. And that's there's not no reason. A, yeah, there's no reason a championship game is that big of a blowout one sided, you know, and unfortunately it sucks for people like us who picked the 49ers because we don't we don't get to see really what they were capable of doing. I mean, I think a healthy 49ers team might win that game. I mean, early on it had, it had the feel of like, okay, the 49ers are moving the ball. I mean, Brock Purdy didn't throw an incompletion. He was four for yeah. four. Uh, besides Everything went wrong in that first quarter and they were still, and they were only down seven tied the game yeah. at one point. Like, so I, yeah, mean, I don't know. It's tough. I'm sure we'll dig into it more, but I also, uh, you know, wanted to intro our guest real quick. Um, so this guest is somebody I've known for a long time. He is a Tennessee Titans football fan, which I think there's a lot of ups and downs to discuss about that organization that I'm sure we'll get into. I played fantasy football with him for a couple of years, and he also is in the amateur league for Aussie rules football, which uh, I think most Americans aren't really aware of how that sport functions. But at the same time, I think it's a great opportunity to inform people on that because of the fact that it's I've watched it and it's incredibly interesting and actually very fun to watch. So introducing our guest, JP Kirby, JP, how you doing, dude? Doing great. Y'all good to be on the show. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, having you on. And first things first. So Titans went from winning the AFC last year to not making the playoffs. And it kind of yep. seems like even though they're keeping Vrabel on like, the winds of change are kind of blowing with that organization. A lot of different things happened. How are you feeling about the direction of the organization? And what would you kind of like to see them do this next year so that you guys actually make the playoffs and don't have kind of this disappointing year you guys had? Well, I'd like to see them make some more consistent moves with, with personnel and, and be a little more preemptive in, in what they're doing. And you can see a lot uh, from we're all pretty happy that John Robinson is no longer the GM uh, in, in Nashville. I think that for a very kind of divided fan base over a lot of issues, nobody was really upset about Robinson leaving that GM position. And now, especially once we look at the finances of what are going on, the Titans are about to be in a huge cap hole, right? When they need to really replace some key pieces before the window is finally shut closed. I think for a lot of us watching Titans football, this was supposed to be, you know, we all know, how quickly you can go from a conference contender, a Super Bowl contender, and then you're lost in a rebuild, right? So we're rocking my my Predators jersey uh, because there's a uh, this time every year since the year 2000, it's been time to focus on Predators hockey over Titans football. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, you know, we look at players like Taylor Lewan, right? Everyone, you know, a lot of people like the boy, but when you've been podcasting way more than you've been playing football. And yeah, they're probably going to cut him so they don't take his cap. But this is an issue that should have been taken care of a while ago, restructuring or dealing him, moving him while he was still healthy enough um, instead of sitting on on a contract like that and just hoping that a guy's knee is going to magically perform 
the way it was supposed to when you drafted him. So there have been a lot of missed opportunities, I think, to make preemptive moves. Our quarterback situation, like why have we been – we're rolling with Malik Willis, who I think nobody can look at that quarterback and and see him as an NFL quarterback. I mean, Dobbs was impressive, but eventually not up to the pressure. And, you know, we, we went into we went into the playoffs last year with Logan Woodside being the number two behind uh, Tannehill in a year where we were a Super Bowl contender. So I'm hoping yeah. to see a lot more preemptive moves in that. JP, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, you mentioned the GM leaving and uh, you know, it's going to be a whole different situation, obviously, with the new guy there. But the A.J. Brown situation, I mean, love or hate the guy. I mean, he goes and he's playing for a Super Bowl now. And obviously there's a little bit of a salty taste in his mouth when he left and, well, didn't choose to leave. We got traded. But what is what are your thoughts about A.J. Brown? Do you, do you still – do you hope to see him go succeed? I know as a Titans fan that's got to hurt seeing a guy like that go and see him have success with the Eagles. Yeah, the, the only time I've really felt – any sort of disdain toward AJ Brown was in that Eagles Titans game earlier this year. And I furious scream, furiously screaming at the TV at him. And then, you know, heard his, even his interviews afterwards. And, you know, we, we love the guy and, and I'm excited for him to get a chance to play in the Super Bowl Cause God knows it wasn't this team that was going to take him there. <laughs> like he could have played on the Titans and they still would not be in a position to be in the Super Bowl. I think that, you know, you're talking about the changes that are made in the org. I think, we would all like to see a little bit more, uh, a little more transparency in what's going on and why why things are happening behind the scenes. Vrabel can be very closed. Uh, losing my camera here, but Vrabel can be very closed off to um, giving any information out. And during the whole AJ Brown drama, um, you know, no, everyone was saying John Robinson and Vrabel were saying he's going to be a titan. He's going to be a titan. And then Vrabel, you know, A.J. Brown is over there saying, I'm going to be a Titan, I'm going to be a Titan, and still tweeting wild stuff into the ether. And then, of course, he gets traded on draft day, which was not really a surprise to anybody. <laughs> so, you know, I'd like to see – that the big thing was that nobody will ever know, I think, what happened with the A.J. Brown situation. Regardless of what anybody who was involved will say at this point in time, they were all telling us that he was on board to be a Titan and they wanted him there. And we could obviously see the signs of strain, but we didn't know who was the problem. We didn't know why he wasn't getting a contract. You know, everyone can look at the cap situation and and make their own judgments about, well, it's pretty obvious that um, there we go. It was pretty obvious that we had uh, some cap issues, but I think the big thing with AJ Brown was frustrating to see him go. I think most people blame the organization more than they blame AJ for that one. Yeah, I think Vrabel wanted him there. I think he was pretty clear about yeah. that, and I think he lost that argument. But mm-hmm. you know, there, there. I mean, that's those were the tweets. Um, I, I forget if it was Jim Wyatt who writes beat writer for the Titans talked about there was a, a yelling match between Vrabel and John Robinson the day after the Eagles game, and a day after that, John Robinson's fired. So you know, yeah. I am I can't imagine that the timing was was as such that. AJ didn't have a huge, huge deal with that. And then, you know, to draft, I don't know, to draft Traylon Burks in the first round. I, I think I, I like Traylon Burks all right, but I just, you know, that's not AJ Brown. Just, yeah. yeah. I mean, the grass, isn't always, the grass isn't always greener, man. I mean, you, you knew Bob made It was very but. obvious that they were, they lost the argument. They wanted to keep AJ Brown, realized they couldn't. And so the next best thing was to try and maybe grab. A replacement someone simil- for him. Right, someone similar. Yeah. yeah. And well, I mean, I guess draft wise, he was the most similar, but he's just no AJ Brown. <laughs> yeah. No. And look, I mean, he, he could develop further, but I still think like he, I've seen, you know, AJ Brown do things that other wide receivers I just don't think can't. So I don't think it's purely development. I think it is just he's, he's unique. And on top of it, too, like, I mean, speaking to that screaming match that happened, like when that trade happened, you know, there, there's a video of them in the war room and you can just see Vrabel got real quiet and uncomfortable. He starts kind of pacing yep. the room. Yeah. He did not seem happy about that situation. And obviously it sounds like they continue to butt heads through the rest of the season. And that's probably why he's not there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Do you trust Vrabel though? Right. Like, do you feel like he is kind of the answer as the head coach? Do you feel like he's the guy for the job or, because I know obviously that like, they let go of their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, who was not popular with you either. 
So like, <laughs> no. like who, do you trust Vrabel out of, you know, all of the people that are no longer with the organization to kind of steer the shit back to life? It's really hard because before Mike Vrabel, we're talking Ken Wisenhunt, Mike Malarkey, Mike Munchak, Jeff Fisher, who did great things for us early. It's really hard to not be a little hesitant to say, oh, Vrabel's never going to get us over the top. I, I do have trust in Vrabel. I, I think that it is undeniable that he is able to get his players up to play in big games. And that's been a pretty consistent theme is they nothing's ever pretty and they lose games that they shouldn't. But when push comes to shove, with the exception of the fall apart this year, um, I mean, I the players like playing for him. Kevin Byard is taking pay cuts to make sure that other players can stay on the Mike Vrabel defense, right? When they needed to pay Jeffrey Simmons, Kevin Byard came in and said, I'm going to take a pay cut in order to get him, you know, keep him on the roster. Or maybe it was maybe it was Harold Landry, but either one of those players or guys that they wanted on the team. Um, and so, you know, the players love playing for him. And I don't think that his decision-making in game is not, I have, he's a little bit risky sometimes, but I've, I've never seen him just goof a game. Um, I think my, my jury is still out, but the answer is going to be pretty apparent because now it's his show, right? Like you can have all of these things in the past. You can blame John Robinson. You can blame injuries, which is also something that the Titans need really need to look into. They announced they're putting in a, a synthetic field next season. I think it's, I think there's an argument that'll make it worse, but I don't think it's <laughs> yeah. the answer. Um, so are they renovating the stadium or are they, <laughs> they getting, building a new one altogether? They are, they are building a new one that is going to be opening up in 2025 or 2026. And they are putting in a synthetic field into N- Nissan next week like next for next so season. next season they'll have turf. right and i'm a little suspicious that this is desperation plays by we what problems do we have to solve well offensive coordinator he's gone general manager he's gone injuries well what can we do there maybe if we put in a set that synthetic field that has been claimed to cut down those injuries i think they're spending a lot of money to try to solve problems and frankly that's encouraging to me amy strunk adams the owner, she's a heart of the city, and I, I think that she's going to do whatever it takes to commit to the team. But if, like her father, she has too much control over the team and we see a Jerry Jones situation start to happen, that could be detrimental. So, you know, sure. Jerry's still out, but we're going to know. I think by the end of next season, um, everyone will know whether Mike Vrabel is the guy or not because this is his show. They put the keys in his hands and he's going to either, you know, drive it with this last leg of Derrick Henry's career, he's going to, he's going to flame out. And what, what, uh, what problem areas would you like to see addressed in the draft? And also uh, with the quarterback situation, I think that's kind of like a, you know, nice uh, bow on kind of the Titan situation is uh, like, what would you like to see them do with this draft? They got a few, you know, pretty high picks. What mm-hmm. problem areas do you see? It's the offensive line. It's nothing. This team, if, if Vrabel's going to have the team, the team is going to win in the trenches. And I know that people are itching for skill positions. They're itching for Derrick Henry's replacement. Those are such gambles. You don't know. You're not going to replace a Derrick Henry in the draft. You you can see you're not going to replace an A.J. Brown in the draft. And, you know, this, this nickel and dime piecing together old receivers onto the team isn't going to work in the long term. But if you're going to bring in a new quarterback, if you're going to have Tannehill try another season here, like you've got to fix that offensive line. We got – Lawan, I don't think they're going to pay him this summer. There's yeah, no, he's already. He no seems pressure. like he's already said that. Lawan's yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to get cut, mm-hmm. man. He's like, I'm yeah, not, exactly. Not pay. He knows. He knows his structure. He's smart. He's openly. Know what yeah, he's openly yeah. said that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he bears any bitterness toward the team. But I mean, we're right. talking about we lost. Uh, you know, we lost Quiz. Um, Roger Saffold to Buffalo last year. That was a big push. Ben Jones, are the heart and soul of that offensive line, may retire. And if we have nobody to put in front, it doesn't matter if it's Derrick Henry, the next Peyton Manning or what. If behind that offensive line, we're not going to have any success. So, right um, and free agency too, JP. If you if you have, there's some hot quarterbacks, you know, in the mm-hmm. market and the Titans. Yep. 
they have a marketable team. And like you're saying, if you don't have the offensive line to protect these guys, I mean, look what happened with Brady last year. And that's, that's exactly right. Because Brady and Rogers have both been on these short lists. Are they going to go to Tennessee? Derek Carr, right. You know, we get the irony of, of Derek Carr playing on Marcus Mariota's original team. It's kind of funny, but (laughs) um, regardless of who this is, especially if it's an older vet, you want to, I mean, no one needs to copy the, the Colts model, but if even if it's these old guys coming in to fill in, they're not mobile. They're not the young guys that are going to be able to deal with a, a terrible offensive line. And so that's where I think so many fan bases and the the demand and the screaming from so many fan bases caused, caused teams to invest in skill positions before they even have the infrastructure in the trenches to protect those assets. And we're seeing Derrick Henry's body get torn. I think he I think this season and last season took probably a year, a season or two yeah. off of his career. He's probably on the decline on for you know, he I is. think he's reached yeah. his peak, right? I think he's mm-hmm. starting to and that's just how running backs are, especially physical ones like that. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm proud of both of you. I, I don't know if that's me rubbing off on both of you guys, but, you know, investing in the trenches first, like that's that's hey, true. John, you know, right there, you've you, know? you have said that for a long time. <laughs> I will give John credit. He's always said that. JP, you're, you're hit. I, I agree with you guys completely. And I think the best thing you can do is just look at the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. That's right. like they, I mean, that's, that's what it. they invested in. That's their core. That's their strength. That's what runs that team. And they're in the Super Bowl and their Super Bowl. They're favorites to win the th- damn thing because of it. And they didn't and they didn't draft a quarterback until they they grabbed Jalen Hurts, right? And when they grabbed Jalen Hurts, they had already built the offensive line. Right. So if you don't safe, have, could develop, yeah. If you don't have a Andrew Luck or a Joe Burrow or a, you know, these Jalen Hurts, you know, someone who you know is going to be a, a difference maker that you can tell is going to be difference, it's okay to spend that draft capital on another position and wait for the guy to come around. Right. Look, I mean, we have Jared Goff right now, and our offensive line makes right. him look like a top five quarterback in the yeah. league. I know for a fact I mean, he's not a top five quarterback in the league, but <laughs> he's protected hey. and he has time and he gets his job done and he puts up. If top we're five if we're being honest, guys, I mean, the the talent level, like, there's the top three quarterbacks are just God touched special yeah. special talents, yeah. right? Everybody else is damn near the same. But if you put a good offensive line in front of a Jared Goff, Derek Carr. Anybody in Ryan Tannehill, anybody in that skill range, they're going to play like a top five quarterback because it makes everything Mm -hmm. easier, less pressure, more time to read the coverages, more time to go through progression. The running game is usually there to help out like that is what makes a average to above average quarterback put into that like, hey, MVP playoff talk conversation. Mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts, I don't think is a great quarterback. If you put him on any other team in the league, I don't think he's an MVP candidate. But on the Eagles this year, he's a damn straight he's an MVP candidate because mm-hmm. he dominated. And, you know, I think that that's a huge thing that you guys are saying, and I think that you hit it right on the nail there with the Titans. They have some pieces. They have a decent defense. They have a, a really good coach, I think, who can definitely get it done. And like you said, they have the cultures there, and they just need somebody at the quarterback position that they can protect, mm-hmm. and you'll have a chance. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you nailed it. I think that's the most important thing that they should yeah. invest in. Yeah. It's, then, uh, it's one of the reasons I am confident about Rand Carthen coming in and helping this team at GM. He, he built a really solid – I mean, you think about the San Francisco 49ers and their personnel, you think front seven, you think offensive line, you, you these gritty, gritty running ugly teams. Um, you know, then you throw in Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk, and of course you can throw the ball right. around the yard. But, I mean, their main offensive piece has been – George Kittle for the longest time. So it's, you know, I'm, yeah, I mean, they won 13 straight games with three four different quarterbacks. Exactly. Playing, you yeah. know, like, yeah, that's, yeah. So I've got crazy confidence. stat. Yeah. And then, so <laughs> how, how has this postseason developed? Do you like do, ha, just watching all of these games and like obviously now we got Casey and the Eagles in the Super Bowl? Like, you know, did things kind of go as expected? Like, uh, you know, maybe watching your division rivals on the Jaguars pull off that upset? Like, kind of. You know, how have you kind of enjoyed the past few weeks? So I'm going to make sure to to say I was at a bachelor party and a wedding from Thursday night all the way through Sunday night. So I'm very thankful that this wasn't the year the Titans got to the AFC Championship. <laughs> I have strong words to say to my buddy. But, uh, yeah, out of, so I watched zero football this weekend. I have no idea what happened in the championship other than just the headlines and scores I've seen. But I can comment on the wild card in the division round, and I think that – you know, what we're seeing is it, it is what we see. The AFC 
is it's the AFC and then there's everything else. And the games in the NFC have been good and they're good teams. And I don't think there's like when you take either the 49ers or the Eagles and you put them against either the, you know, the Chiefs or the Bengals, like either of those are going to be good games. It's going to be, you know, anybody's ball game. But getting out of the AFC, when you've got the Jaguars getting in there and knocking off teams like that, like it is hard to get through. And then you got to go play Joe Burrow the next week, right? Like the, 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 um, the Bills, I, I just – it's wild to see everybody complaining about Josh Allen and everybody having these problems. And it's like this is a this is a meat grinder. And it's a little surprising – it was a little surprising to see Buffalo go down at, at home and everything like that. Um, but, you know, loved watching the Bills and Dolphins play. It was, it was, it was a bunch of good games. So I think the, the games themselves showed to me that, you know, whatever's going on, the AFC is very strong and it's very competitive and the NFC, you know, you've got your surprises. It's top heavy. It's top, it's top heavy. heavy. Yeah. It's very top heavy. You've got juggernauts and then it always hurts the NFC's clout to have the Cowboys included in one of those juggernaut teams. Cause we know what they're going to do every year. So, you know, <laughs> but yeah, we throw, we throw beat, a little, a little Cowboys uppercut in there. Listen, yeah. we were Cowboys hate show. Um, and it's but I'm in the good. right place. Yeah. You came to the right place. Um, but yeah, we talked, I mean, we talked about it just even before you came on JP about uh, this was one of the topics we were going to get to, but it's a good time to get into it. The Eagles path. Um, kind of questionable. I mean, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to discredit the Eagles because I, I actually mm-hmm. think they have a very good chance of winning the Super Bowl, and they've been the best team in the league all year all year long. But I mean, they played a fraudulent Giants team, obviously, <laughs> and then and then you play a 49ers team that we really thought could give them a game, and mm-hmm. they get an early touchdown because of a missed call on a dropped ball, and then the very next series you're starting well your third string quarterback, but you're starting quarterback that day tears a ligament in his arm, can't feel his arm. And then the backup quarterback gets a concussion like a quarter later. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not much of a challenge to, to get to the Super Bowl with the path they've had. I don't know if that hurts them in the long run. I mean, they still dominated the games, and you have to give them credit. But, I mean, is that, is that one of the easiest paths you've seen for a team to get to the Super Bowl in your recent, like, memory? I mean, that, I, was, I was trying to I'd think of so. an easier ride. I'm trying to remember who the Steelers played before the Jaguars – in the AFC championship game. Cause if you meet the Jaguars in the AFC championship, your ride's probably pretty easy, but <laughs> Bortles, uh, no, that is definitely it's <laughs> portals forever. Um, it's definitely a, a, they're not as tested as people would like them to be, but I am kind of over this concept. You win that many NFL football games in a season, yeah. you're a good team and oh, yeah. see it, seeing them like they've, they've got weapons. They got real real weapons that any any team is going to have a hard time stopping. Like, sorry, KC, you're playing on a neutral site. You're not an arrowhead. You're going to have to stop A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Jalen Hurts, without you know, the benefits of home field advantage. Um, I, I think – I don't know. I, I can't say fraudulent, but we'll see what happens in the Super Bowl coming up. Yeah, sure. I wish I had yeah. a I wish I had a hotter take for you, but after that Titans Eagles games, I've watched very few Eagles games. <laughs> well, I don't I, I don't think that I like Mark or I are in the boat of fraudulent. I mean, I've been beating the Eagles drum all season, really. But and I've been beating them up. I have been yeah, beating on the you, Eagles, but I, I'm giving them their bit. credit for getting there. Well, and that's um, what I'm trying to say is, I, yeah. regardless, I think they can be a really good team, and yeah. also you can, you know, recognize the fact that their path to the Super Bowl was was very easy too. And yeah, I, I think both things yeah. can be true. I think what is what has happened a lot of times they have when they get up to play in a, in a position to get a game that proves themselves, you're dealing with a third string quarterback, right? You know, you yeah. you are expecting to go up against. Uh, you're waiting for that first round home game in the in the divisional round, and you get the Giants, right? Who went up to Minnesota and showed everybody what Minnesota does in the playoffs. So it's right. it's you know it's every time they've had an opportunity, it feels like they get the short end of the stick in terms of their opposition. So can they stay? Can they stay hot in the face of adversity when they get punched in the nose a couple Sundays from now? We'll see. Uh, but I did, they definitely have the talent that's there. I don't think that's been a question. Sure. 
Now, uh, I also want to just uh, transition into the Aussie rules football. And I just want to tell like a quick story. So, you know, I met JP working down in Texas for, for a couple months. And uh, he and I became pretty good buds pretty quickly. Um, if you can't tell by both of our appearances, we're also pretty big metal fans. Uh, yeah. So I was going to say the flow and the, the, the facial <laughs> hair there. That's like, I just couldn't do that. I can't pull that off. <laughs> but um, one I thing that Jay- in forever. one thing that uh jp introduced me to was australian football he had uh, a couple of us over and just kind of like explained how the sport works and like it was the summer of covid so dry season as far as probably one of the driest seasons as far as sports went in general we didn't have really a whole lot to watch and so we're watching this sport and i'm like holy crap these guys are beating the shit out of each other and have no pads on whatsoever and so i was just gonna kind of uh pull up a picture of a field and jp i'm just gonna kind of let you take the reins on explaining how this weird sport works and uh and maybe we can get a new a couple new fans to watch this summer yeah i surely enjoyed it oh awesome okay so this is the oval this is uh, aussie rules football right so just to get a sense of what you're looking at, take a look at that arc, right? looks like a three-point line on either end of the field. Uh, that's 50 meters. That's that's more than 50 yards, and that's about a third of the field, right? A little less than a third of a field. The field is massive, and we play with 18 guys on each team. Holy so shit. Yeah, so you typically <laughs> 18, it splits up into three sixes. So you typically have six guys in your defensive side of the field, six guys in your offensive side of the field, six guys in the middle. The object of the game at the end in in where these gold square goal squares are at the end of the field, there are four posts sticking straight out of the ground. I don't know. Yes. See these posts. Perfect. I knew you were going to be more prepared than that. The vocal is good. Yeah. So this is an Aussie rules football field. As you can see, it's massive. The players real tiny there. Uh, The object of the game is to kick the ball without it being touched by anyone through these middle posts. If you get hit the middle posts without the ball being touched, that is six points. That's called a goal. If you miss and you kick it through the outside, or if you kick it and the ball gets touched or batted across even through the middle, that is called a behind, and it's only worth one point. So you can tell how accurately a team kicks with the opportunities that they have is pretty important. So we move the ball up and down this field, There are only four players on the bench um, in the professionals. So like cardio is is a huge part of this game, which is wild that I'm involved in it because that's been my least favorite activity uh, all my life. Um, You move the ball up and down the field by kicking it to each other. It's just a it looks like a football. It's a little bit fatter. It's a little bit more round, bouncier, but you kick the ball to each other uh, or you handball it. It's like a volleyball punch. So the two ways you're not allowed to throw it. Um, you're not allowed even backwards. You're not allowed to throw it. You have to either punch the ball to each other and run with it, or you have to kick the ball to your teammates. Right. So there's a lot of, here's a little bit, you know, some, some can you, abuse can you of hold, players. Can you like hold it and run with it at all? Yes, you can hold it and run with it. Um, you can move in any direction. There's no offsides or anything. You can only run with the ball up to 15 meters. So you can only, you can't just pick up the ball and sprint with it. If you have the space to do that and you're running every 15 meters, if you want to keep carrying the ball, you actually have to bounce the football shaped ball off the ground back into your to own yourself. hands to be able to keep running with it. That's one of the ways you can do it. And can you, and this is this full contact? Like yeah. how does this, yeah, it's so you can just contact. get lit up trying to punt the mm-hmm. ball. Yes, absolutely. That happens a lot. Some of the biggest hits come would be the biggest roughing the passer, roughing the kicker calls you'd ever see in your life. You know, you're just going for it, peeling yeah. back, making that kick, and someone clears you out, and there's absolutely no penalty. Um, and there's you know, no, padding. As, no padding. No padding. <laughs> nope, not at all. Uh, one of the things that makes it a little bit different than rugby, right? You see the big guys. The reason I can play Aussie football and not so much rugby. You see the big guys with the thick necks playing rugby. In Aussie rules football, if you are caught holding the ball, it's a penalty called holding the ball. If you're running with it and you've had a chance to get rid of it, whether it's punching it, kicking it, or anything like that, and you get tackled or you get slung in a way that makes you have to throw the ball or get rid of it the wrong way, then the play stops and the other team gets the ball. 
they get to have a, what's called a free kick. So just picture in your head ultimate Frisbee, right? When you play right. an ultimate Frisbee, you're running, you go up, you catch the disc, and you have to stop right there. So in Aussie rules football, if you go up and you catch another player's kick, someone kicks you the ball and you catch it, or in this case with a penalty, what's called a free kick, if you get that free kick, nobody can tackle you. You can back up off the mark. It's a little spot on the field, imaginary spot on the field where you caught the ball, you get to back up and kick the ball or play the ball forward from there. Um, so in Aussie rules football, when you get tackled, if you're get, if you're tackled with the ball, the other team gets it, and it's a big change of, of position, possession, right? It's a big momentum game up and down the field. You can be playing all the offense in the world, and just like that, someone else will get the ball, transition it all the way down the field. But because you get penalized for holding on to the ball, you don't have a lot of the same shoulders down, driving into piles. You're not squaring up with each other and running into it. Um, but you are, there are a lot more like sling tackles. There's a lot more almost clothesline type plays of people trying to stop the other player real quick. So JP, um, we had, uh, so I played college football at central Michigan. Our punter yeah. when I was there mm-hmm. uh, was uh, his, his name was Jack Sheldon. He was, we, he was recruited uh, because mm-hmm. he played professional Aussie football. He's from Australia. Yeah. So yeah. he came as a punter and I think, and I'm not 100% sure, maybe, you know, in like real football, the punting, I don't know if you've seen some of the, like where you jog a few steps right or left and you punt mm-hmm. to kind of buy mm-hmm. yourself time. I yeah. think they took that from this sport. Yeah. And yeah, so absolutely. we, we introduced it at central. I, it, it's not just us. I mean, a lot of colleges and pro teams mm-hmm. are doing it now because it allows team for your, it allows time for your coverage team to get down there. But Jack yeah. was, he was an awesome punter because he did this his whole life. And yeah, you know, we brought him in and, and he was an awesome punter for us, was able to do, he was athletic enough to do trick plays and all kinds yeah. of shit like that. So, yeah. um, you know, I, that was just kind of a cool thing. Well, he always talked about, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about with his accent. Oh, yeah. and, and like, but, uh, no, uh, Mark, you know, I mean, Mark, the, you... the, the biggest thing though, is that like, you know, you hate kickers. Like you've, you've said on the podcast, I don't really respect kickers. I don't hate all kickers. I, I don't hate I have had well, that thought recently. I, was, I don't I hate all kickers. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. And there's a lot of them that are like a joke. And but I was going to say, Sta- this, did you see what Joe the... Staley said to the, the, to yeah, the we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, goes, we'll get there. <laughs> you're a kicker. You're, you're <laughs> literally a kicker. But what I was going to say though, is that, um, these are kickers you can respect because these guys are also used to making oh, dude, open these dudes field are badass. tackles. <laughs> these dudes are badass. I mean, if you're by, if a kick, see, that's what I'm talking about though. There's the kickers that I respect are the kickers that will, you know, they'll pop right up after getting popped on a punt and be like, yeah, try, try that again. You know what I mean? Like those are the rare things in real football that you see kickers do. Most of the kickers in, in American football are not tough guys. They're not badass. They're just like, you know, we played soccer. Well, I mean, we're yeah, like specialists. Yeah. It's, <laughs> You know, you bring a guy like Jack Sheldon along or JP from, you know, Aussie football and the real football. And they're like, yeah, I'm a badass, dude. Come hit me. Like, I'll go make a tackle. You know, that's what, uh, that's what I'm looking for in kickers. So I wish good. more of them Let's were go. like that. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I definitely during the summer, I'll have to, to sit you down and, and we'll watch. A, a JP's a, a Carlton Blues fan. That's his team. That's his team. Um, yeah. And we'll have to watch a game or two because you will you will be like at first it's like it's you know you're overstimulated you're like what am i looking at and then once you start to understand the game you're like this is awesome (laughs) i I have an interesting take jp i want to hear what you think of this because you play the sport me and john are not as familiar obviously there's a concussion problem with real Mm -hmm. american football right Mm -hmm. professionally college youth it's getting a lot of heat um Mm -hmm. ct is becoming a, a bigger thing a bigger problem especially as they do more research into it I feel like without helmets and less padding, there's probably less head injuries. Do you think that that might be the case in Aussie football compared 100%. to tackle American football? Because you're not going to use your head if you're not protected, right? I mean, it's just like it's inst- they feel like you can use your head when you're playing American football. Right. I don't know how many times I've done that where it's like, well, we're in a helmet. Yeah. You know, the the sports, the, the Aussie football and American football are so different that it would be hard to make that that comparison the hits in Aussie football first of all there's so many more of you on the field and the hits are they're not every play so you don't you take fewer shots and but when you're looking at rugby you can you can look at a lot of the same same types of hits offensive yeah. linemen plowing into each other running backs going in and while they do have head trauma in rugby it's not the same 
it's not the same as as American football. Now you got you got a little bit of cross vectors, you know, the blind side hits and and are very and defenseless receiver kind of plays very unique to American football and where the players yeah. are coming from in the context. And those are high like speed that. collisions. High man. speed like collisions, but I think that it, look, I didn't play football, but in every game I've ever played, when you have an advantage, you use it as a weapon, right? I don't. I think it's ridiculous to think that you're going to put pads to protect these guys on these on football players. Think about the football players you knew in college, right? Yeah. Right. Other than the nice offensive linemen who are the best people on earth, but like the football <laughs> players, you put you put a helmet on them, you put pads on them, and expect them not to use that to their full advantage. Like they're going for it. Yeah, it's, it's not can, as much for their protection as it is like, oh, I can run through somebody right now and hardly feel it. It yeah, gives yeah, you a sense right. of like, um, you know, invincibility. Exactly. I, like some of the stuff right. I've tried to do with a helmet, like with the helmet, and it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not a good idea. But you think right. you're safe because you got the face mm-hmm. mask and it's shielding your face. Yeah. And then you just assume that you're protected and it, that's just yeah. not the case a lot of the time. You look at tackles in rugby, you look at tackles in Aussie rules football, and they just, they're not the same because you don't have that sense of invulnerability where you can just run straight through somebody and have no consequences. So I'm, I'm completely with you. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I it's have an been interesting, for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I, I, cause I mean, there's been murmurs of people professionally talking about, do we, do we go back to those old school leather helmets that aren't no, as protective? And just, it's just like, no helmets whatsoever. I, just it not. probably <laughs> would be safe. It probably would be safer though. I mean, if a safety is not going to lower his neck and mm-hmm. spear someone in the head, yeah, as a weapon, if he's not wearing a helmet, you know, like you yeah. got to be insane. Well, John, to do that. John, I would be interested on your take on the offensive lineman perspective on that one because be while you're right, I think the the contact out in the open field would be a lot different. You're adjusting your body differently, you know, when yeah. you're running up on somebody. Uh, there's another sport that I play in Bowling Green that has a lot more people trying to run straight over the top of each other, and when you're sitting there and this guy's coming towards you, my brother-in-law is a big man and when he's playing my team and he's trying to run over the top of me I'm just sitting there but I'm adjusting my body to make sure that I've, I've like hitting him in the right spot and, and getting the turn right and I wouldn't have to do that if I had a helmet yeah. but well I mean the offensive so line perspective John the, the weird thing is that offensive line like even in you know my dad played in a flag football league for a little bit and you know Mark and I did veer camp together which was helmets only we didn't have any pads on besides that and offensive line is full contact for those things and like basically you know, you'll get uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, maybe it's not supposed to be you're it's full contact yeah 100%. It's full contact. but um you'll end up with like bruises on your chest and stuff from you know getting pops like you would that, that kind of looked cool on the camera doing that um but <laughs> um like it's just it's different right like the hitting is different where it's like it's it, you're using the full weight of your body against another dude that's the same size and then at that point it's just like it kind of boils down to leg drive and so like you know, if everybody's kind of going with that kind of force and pressure, I really don't think like pads make the biggest difference. Now, that's probably very different in the NFL because the guys are literally twice as big as the guys that I was used to pushing around in high school um, and significantly stronger, too. Um, honestly, they could probably break a rib just with the way that they pop pads. Right. Like, I, I don't think that'd be a, an overstatement in, in any sense. It's a lot so. of like, John, it's a lot of like the, you know, shorter um less high speed collisions but those add up you know and uh with the helmets on obviously they're using a lot of face masks you know a little bit of a little bit of um neck strength as you're trying to balance somebody you know because it's core i mean everything goes into it when you're blocking somebody because you don't know where that defender is going to go yeah exactly Um, you're just trying to throw all your yeah it might not be like a blackout like you know blindside hit a lot of the time for those linemen but i mean they're using their heads and their necks a decent amount it's just you don't maybe see it as much yeah. Um, so no, it's, I don't it's know. A, it's I wonder a really how that would interesting question. Yeah. yeah, it's a good. Um, and JP, last question for you before we let you go yeah. here. Who, who do you got uh, two weeks from now on Sunday um, in Arizona? <sighs> My brother-in-law grew up in a Kansas City Chiefs household that was as intense as our Titans household. Obviously, you know, Justin Maloney, my boy Jaloney. He's a good huge dude. Eagles fan. He's going to be in my wedding. Um, so interests on both sides and I just, I don't have as much faith in this Kansas city team as, as I have had in the past, but then they just went out and beat the Bengals. Like I, 
I have wanted to say all season that this Chiefs team is at the end of its curb when it comes to, you know, obviously we've seen it with the talent at wide receiver when we've seen it with, with you know, their some of their offensive line. And, you know, we've seen the problems from the Super Bowls in the past. But I don't know. It's it's Patrick Mahomes screaming at somebody that his ankle, you know, that he's he's not going to be allowed back on the field at his ankle. And I I I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm going to give it to one team. I'm going to say Chiefs by four. It's probably what's going to happen. There we go. I like it. JP, thanks so much for coming on, dude. I think uh, not only did you have a lot of great insight about NFL, but it was really fun uh, learning a little bit about Aussie rules as well. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, man. You, you, were, one, you were an awesome guest, man. Good meeting you. Great. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Later. Peace. Take care. See ya. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I think we kind of like touched on some of the things that we planned on talking about, uh, you know, after JP hopped off, but like, you know, this, this Eagles offensive line and really like this was just going to be a huge trenches game period. Right. And we, we said that we, over we and over it, yeah. and over again, going into uh, this game is that like the front seven defensively on both teams are really good. The, the offensive line on both teams are really good. And whoever comes out on top is going to win. Now, it was a way easier win for the Eagles because the quarterback situation. But, you know, Mark sent me this video and like this is exactly the type of shit that we're talking about. Like this is how you win games, right? People look don't at, realize. Look at where this defensive line starts, right? So this is this is what is this the tackle right here? Yeah, it's taking this block on, right? Let me see before the play starts. Yeah, no, it's, this, it's, it's the guard. Dude, guards are freaking huge in the NFL. That's nuts. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that's the guard taking this block on. Watch watch where this contact first starts and then where he ends up by the time that the run goes by him. Obviously, he gets a combo from Kelsey. But if you look, like, at, look at Kelsey's – it's not just the physicality, John. It's the mentality. It's the, it's the I'm going to kick your ass, and it's how smart they're doing it. Watch Kelsey him, get a, and then immediately go second level and knows that he's going second. Look at the angle he takes though, right? Look at he creates it. so good. He creates an angle so that Greenlaw can't get outside of him, right? And that is that is just you can't really have that instinctively. That's just taught and coached and repeated over and over again. And this is just team offensive line play, man. Combo it's, block, it's so kick good. ass, get to second level with a good angle, and allow the running back to follow you. Right, and, and when you have again, a Hall of Famer doing it. Like, San Fran's defense was healthy this game. Okay. We we know what happened yeah. with the quarterback situation, but like like that is a full grown 300 pound defensive tackle just getting rocked by 10 yards, not even close to the play by the time that the running back is is at the line of the scrimmage. Not even close. You know, it's all the it, way on the other side. And it just comes down like fundamentals to I mean pad level, right? Look where Kelsey's pad level is uh compared to that defender. Um, you don't see guys in the NFL get pushed around like this yeah. very often. Though. Even his pad you know, level I mean, when pushed... he takes on this block with Greenlaw, dude, like he's lower than him and he's probably what, four or five inches taller than him? Yeah, it's it's impressive, but this is what the <laughs> Eagles do. Like this is what they've done all year. Um, not only that, but if you if you look at the backside guard, John, it's the little things like look at the backside guard's footwork and his hand positioning to make sure that Armstead can't cross his face and blow up the zone play, right? See how he see how he reaches and is just basically like I don't have to kick your ass, but if you cross my face, this play's broken up. Um, and he just he's able to turn the body and make sure that he can't get across his face, which is really hard to do because they're slanting in that direction. It's Dude. it's incredible. They do this consistently. We there was this happened all game long. Uh, I was completely wrong about the RPOs as well. Fred Warner and Greenlaw and those guys. I mean, instead of being the nature the natural aggressive downhill linebackers that they are. They basically just stood there and you can see it on this clip. Watch, um, watch Warner. Who's kind of off the screen here, John, if you want to show him, he's left of green law. So if you pause it at right, the beginning, right here, you pause at the very beginning. Okay. And then you, when you press play, watch him not move because he's, he's re he's watching Jalen hurts. He doesn't know. He's literally hasn't moved oh, yeah. until now. Yeah. Literally the play's he, probably gone on for about a second. He, and because he, of the RPO, hands are right? still on his knees, still on his knees. And that's not how he plays typically, but because of the worry of Jalen hurts, pulling that thing or throwing it after pulling it, 
it froze them. I was completely wrong on my RPO. Dude, when you when you sent me this, I sat like what we're doing right now. I sat here and watched it a hundred times. Where I was like, "This is because there's so much, so and, and, all, and it's like this is one play, <laughs> but you could go down a break. There's there's thirty plays offensively that the Eagles ran where you could find totally. just absolute bullying happening. But it's 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 so much bigger than that. It's it's how they play as a unit up front. Um, you know, the, the running backs, their vision, the ability, the the ability to follow these blocks and the patience that you have to have with that. And then obviously Jalen hurts and um, you know, the play calling that goes along with that and the, the threat of right. him pulling it and running it. It just, it makes a aggressive defense hesitant and you can't play defense hesitant. Yeah, so. absolutely. And then not to mention the fact that then all of a the sudden they don't have any time off at the field because their offense is getting three and outs and that's just a perfect storm, right? Like it's, it just became the Eagles game from that point on period. And, uh, like I said, it was it was a bummer because I thought these were two juggernauts going at it, and I don't thought I think the 49ers got a fair shake. Um, and that sucks, but you know, it is what it is. Injuries do happen. You know, I <laughs> we started this episode being like, man, maybe there should be 58 players on, on the roster or whatever. <laughs> JP's telling us Aussie rules, there's four guys on the bench. Yeah, but you got 18 <laughs> on the field. I mean, could you imagine? That'd be nuts. Um, but yeah, and then Casey Bengals, right? And you, you heard little whisperings of this, I think, in the, the San Fran game, but it didn't make a difference. And then you get to Casey Bengals, and then they, the conversations got real loud about officiating. And look, I think there's two things to this. One, I think, and we've had this conversation before, like officials should be full-time. They should be training in the offseason. There's a lot of ways that this multi-billion dollar business can improve the officiating that matters on these multi-billion dollar games, like period. This is a billion dollar industry. Millions of people watch these games. It should not be crazy to say that these refs should not be part-time guys. Second thing is though, is that I know they assemble like all-star crews for the playoffs. That's what they do is they take some of the like best guys from, from each uh, crew and like assemble what they call like all-star crews for these big games. I don't know if that's a helpful strategy because these guys aren't used to working with one another. And just in the same way that team chemistry is important, that's also important for referees and knowing what everybody's role is. Right. And then I just saw so much freaking yellow on the field this past weekend, that it made me sick. I was just it tired was of it. It broke um, up the play. It, it makes the game feel a lot more sloppy. And, and it's just, it's not a, an enjoyable watching experience. And I know the players hate it too. So that's, that's John, what I got to say about it. Do, do, do you know that the, do you know how the ref, um, the grades work? Like, you know, that they get graded by, uh, so th they, they do their job. They referee a game and this happens in college and professionally. They get a grade um, from other crews, from both teams, from coaching staffs. And the coaches actually can put in clips with complaints and they actually watch film on how to get better. Like the referees do, and they get graded and that's how they decide these all-star you know, ref groups that you're talking about. But my question is, if you do that, how the hell do you have guys missing calls like that in championship level games? Like you said, they should just be full time. What's right. the point of having, you know, because what is it? What does it do for the Bengals to, to put their complaints in this week? It does nothing for them. <laughs> you know, right. their season's over. Um, right. And there's a lot of arguable calls. I will say, you know, I'm sure we'll get into some of these calls, but I will say the Chiefs, I, they deserved to win. The Bengals had every opportunity to move down the field. They had the ball in a tie game, I think, three times. Joe Burrow, two interceptions. He was sacked a lot. Like, there was a lot of things that Cincinnati could have done to take take over that game. Like, Patrick Mahomes did something we rarely see him do. He turns the ball over unforced at midfield within a tie game. And that you was couldn't a do anything. play. You can't yeah. do anything about it. Like right. it wasn't penalties that caused that, that issue, you right. know? And so that's, that's why I get annoyed with like people saying the NFL is rigged and stuff like that. It's like, again, like what scale would you need to be? You have to, to be rig a game. It would have to be. It would, it, it's funny to talk about. And, and yeah. I think that in ways there's definitely agendas being pushed. And like, I think that Patrick Mahomes, what, what is his, what do you see commercials of Patrick Mahomes all the time? State farm, right? What's the stadium in Arizona? State Farm Stadium, you know. What I, I mean? actually, so actually it's like, didn't know that, but there's um, a lot of agendas. But you know, I, I know it's there's agendas, to... and I know that there, you know, there's always drama. Don't get me wrong. I think it's more so the fact that it's like 
Okay, wait. So you're telling me these refs can't even like you know figure out their ass from a hole in the ground, but they're smart enough that not only can they fix games, but also everybody's getting paid billions of dollars to keep hush about it. Like, let's let's yeah, it's in- come on now. But the the thing is, is that I honestly don't think that the refereeing in either game totally was responsible for the outcome. Definitely not right. 49ers. And luckily, I, luckily, right. Probably not Casey Bengals. But the thing is, is that what it does do is change the pace. And again, it changes the pace for the players. It changes the place for the viewer, the pace for the viewers. Like let's not have sloppy football games and and the AFC and NFC championship. And let's not have sloppy football games primarily because the officials can't figure out when to review plays, how to keep a freaking flag in their pocket for like maybe one play, like calling games evenly. And and, you know, it's just like, it changes the feel, man. It changes the feel. And it uh, obviously you feel a little bit for Cincinnati fans, but again, you know, I think Kansas city earned that win. You can't completely blame officiating luckily, but we've seen games in the past where you, you know, we've seen really good games. You know, talk talk about the Washington and giants game that we we went on a rant about, right. That was a, a, a defensive battle all game long. And you get to the last play of the game and you just you choke, you miss a call that was so blatant. And that affected the the commander's season, man. And um, I don't know, it, it's gotta be fixed. The Devontae Smith play is a huge like that huge. was a drop. That's seven ball. points. There's That's undisputable, points. you know, indisputable. It was a dropped ball. And from one camera angle, it looks like a catch, and from the other, it's a clear drop. The fact that we have to blame Kyle Shanahan for not noticing that from when he's literally a hundred yards away from it. Right. And just, you have to guess that by him signaling this, it means get, hurry up and get on is, the ball. Isn't before. that what the sky cam is supposed to do though? Is that like, like right. then New, but, New York can call in and be like, Hey, we should review that play. That's the idea, but it happens, you know, they get up and go so fast and uh, it, it's just like, I feel like you should just have your referees. And then I think you should have guys on the sidelines that are part of the crew that just sure. look for little details like, did you get your feet in? Uh, was yeah. it a forward pass? That are watching for certain things that all they have to do is on a microphone say, hey, I think this was a drop. I think we should stop playing. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that it's not. It's so easy. It's really. It's, it's so really easy not, to get it right. And we can speed bad. up. You know, the review process doesn't have to take 10 minutes. And it's just like, dude, look at the camera. Most of the time with within one or two views of a certain angle, the average fan even knows whether it was a catch or a drop or a fumble or whatever um it's it's stupid i don't know how you have a billion dollar industry that runs pretty smoothly on its own that can't figure this side of it out um one interesting thing about this game john i want to talk about was and i've said this before the andy reed okay and the, off, the draft class was awesome and I, I will get into that but i want to talk about one thing before this john it's the future of offensive football, right? They tried to do a hook and ladder where they threw it to Kelsey. He caught it and was going to pitch it to another guy uh, downfield. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as like the future of offensive football develops. I mean, it's, it's essentially option football. It's like triple option, right? You throw the ball, you catch the ball downfield. Instead of having a pitch back in the backfield, like how we did on inside veer, you have an option play from a former quarterback like Kelsey downfield, and it just puts defenses in a whole different. Like I, I don't yeah. know how you prepare for that. If you well, can, it's like, get it's good like at using, that, using your athletes to do just stuff that other, like literally, yeah, you couldn't do it, unless you were an NFL. It just team. becomes a pitchback twenty yards downfield with right. no one behind the safety. Because if the safety comes to tackle Kelsey, and he because they almost got that. I mean, it was a bad pitch, but that would have been another twenty yards gained. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see other teams pull stuff out like that and i wouldn't be surprised we see something like that in the super bowl and it doesn't have to be a last play of the game like dallas was trying to do with zeke at center like i think we're gonna see crazy shit like that on regular downs where they do laterals and shit similar to like what aussie football and rugby do you know i think we're gonna see stuff like that creep into the nfl and college and high school levels of of american football and i i'm kind of excited to see where that goes you know yeah, i don't just, disagree with you because like there's plenty of teams that ran stuff like that this past season and it worked yeah, like it yeah it undisputedly dude worked. the lions the lions yeah, the packers that's, did that's it right like it worked, yeah. it, there's a lot of shit like and i think it's just going to continue to develop and grow because offensive minds move a little bit faster right defensively you have to react to what the o does so the right. offense is kind of what always is pushing new shit into the football world in terms of scheme 
And I think it's really cool to see stuff like that. I couldn't believe when I saw that live. I was like, like it just is so exciting to see. It's the future. And, of like offense. hats off to Andy Reid because like he Geniuses, is the one man. that is just doing like evil genius stuff. Like, he is he's like he a has reinvented he has reinvented offensive football like every year he's been you know a coach and it's just so awesome some of the stuff you see him do and then it's a copycat thing. You know, right. we've seen his entire team do a circle around Mahomes and then line up and go. I mean, we've seen hook and ladder. Like he just does crazy shit. Bring and it's the Rosie, yeah. really and fun I also, to see. I quickly want to, because look, draft classes are huge, right? And I think one thing that Scott, Mark and I so stoked about being Lions fans is that Brad Holmes for two years now, like top to bottom has had really solid, productive draft classes. And like I, an argument that I've, heard about that is well yeah the roster was depleted like of course they're going to play their young guys and of course those young guys are going to have to make plays at some point because they're they're seeing more play time you can't make the, that argument about casey right casey is a ton of vets ton of guys making big money weapons everywhere and look at what the rookies did in this game right six tackles sack three catches punt return four tackles two interceptions uh obviously uh cheo's been nuts the entire season but obviously you know almost had a 100 yard game like this team was utilizing their rookie talent just as well if not better than the lions were all season and so you can't make that argument that you know like oh like you're just seeing that that you know like good rookie capital paying off quicker because of the fact that their team sucks casey doesn't suck and they're finding ways to use their rookies in really effective ways and that's you know huge hats off um, to them for and that's finding a, vi- a way to it's a very big part of i mean you don't go to five afc championship games in a row at home by coincidence it doesn't happen by accident it's not just patrick mahomes there's more to it um they've surrounded him with an offensive line that can protect him and when they had the offensive line kind of fall apart they reinvested in it and got new guys right. uh when you lose a guy like tyree kill and you don't want to pay him a gigantic contract because it would eat up all your cap you find guys like Juju and you draft Sky Moore and you bring in Kadarius Tony and guys that maybe aren't Tyreek Hill, but when you mix them with guys like Mahomes and Kelsey, it allows them to be in matchups that are favorable to them. And I mean, you just, it just seems like every time you watch the Chiefs play, all these different weapons, I wouldn't say any of their weapons are great besides Kelsey, but you're just waiting for one of them to explode and have a big game. Right. Like, and every single time it's like, who are these guys? It's like, yeah. it's like, what, like I mean, what's going I mean, on? MBS, right. Right. You know, Marquez, he had a huge game and we've only seen him do that a couple times in his career. Like with Aaron Rodgers and green Bay, we saw him have a few big games. Right. But he's always just kind of been like an average, you know, a couple plays a game guy. He had a huge game, man. He was making crazy catches. Um, had a touchdown last week. I mean, he was, he had a touchdown this week. Like he's, he was, he was their star on offense and you just never know what is going to be, who's going to step up. If you, if you put two guys on Kelsey, who's the guy that's going to step up? Is it going to be Pacheco? Is it going to be Kadarius Tony? Is Juju going to have a day, you know, Sky Moore, the rookie, is he going to make a play? I mean, he had a huge pump return to set him up uh, for that game winning field goal. It's just awesome to see. And they just utilize their guys and they coach everybody well so that if dudes do go down, it's next man up. And they always seem right. to be ready. And I think that's part of why you see consistent success out of the Chiefs for the last, you know, five years. It's more than just Patrick Mahomes, right? No, it's, I agree. That is, it's like, I think that's a big thing of like what the Bills are missing. You know, they're missing that consistency and depth from smaller guys. It can't just be Diggs. Yeah. You know, you well, have I mean, to it's, And it's in, the same thing that you saw, you know, during the Brady area era with Belichick. And oh, yeah. why why that lasted for 15 years is because Belichick, like a madman, would go and draft guys that I think half the Dude, people he, didn't even have on the radar. Belichick would and they find dudes that look like me and you and <laughs> right? and find ways to have them become Pro Bowl receivers and it's, running backs. It's, crazy. it's just it's, it's so crazy. It's just part of what it is, right? If you fit into the system, if you're coached well and you get all the tools to be successful, and you have a quarterback that can get you the ball. That's, you know, that's the recipe for success. And exactly. That's um, it's impressive to see. And then, so I think rest, we're, you know, about an hour in now. So I'm going to take a look at one more tweet. We're going to talk about some of the coaching changes and then kind of wrap it up since obviously there isn't a game to look forward to, or at least a real one to look forward to uh, this coming weekend. So obviously pretty inter- entertaining uh, Twitter beat. Uh, <laughs> Kayvon Thibodeau, who's the uh, the rookie edge rusher for the Giants, for those that do not know, was talking some trash about the 49ers 
And then Joe Staley comes in and says, you're a flash player who gets bodied by average tackles. Don't let the New York media affect you too much. Kayvon uh, hits him back with, um, like, the who are you, basically. Like, who I've are you? you? Like, are you joking me? Joe Staley's a Hall of Famer. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, shut up, dude. And then he goes, enough for you to respond. Congrats on your four sacks this year, though. <laughs> That's huge. Unbelievable numbers. And then did you see Michael Strahan's response to Joe Staley? Yeah. So then he, wait, Strahan's response to Joe Staley. I don't think I yeah. saw that. No. Michael Strahan quoted that tweet the one about four sacks and said i believe i had two and a half on you your rookie year don't come at you know cave after his rookie season um like he isn't going to be special and then he also have to put out the you're a kicker response yep yep but i just think i i don't know when people will learn like if you're, you're a not, kicker that's it yeah that's hilarious <laughs> um if if you're going to talk shit on Twitter and stuff and your team's already been eliminated, like, I just don't know what you think is going to happen. Right. Or right. if like you're Eli that would be Apple, like Eli Apple getting on dude, right now. And Eli Apple's her. mom deleted her Twitter this past week because, and probably well-deserved that she had to do that because I don't think he's you, tweeted since they lost too. And it's like, no, Oh, so you're going to talk like all this shit. And then you're, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't tweeted since they lost. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, like you've, and, and Micah Parsons is tweeting stuff and, and has been exposed a few times. Like, I just don't know why you, you can't tweet stuff before a game or after you've been eliminated. Now, what I love seeing is like Travis Kelsey and the shit he was saying after the game. That was awesome. Sit I'm down sorry, and shut was, up, jabroni. <laughs> shit, sit down and know your role. That's what it was. Sit down, know your to the mayor of Cincinnati. By would like you have to remember, Kelsey played ball at Cincinnati in college with his brother. Like he's a Cincinnati guy, and like for him to call out the mayor like that, and honestly, it's kind of what you deserve if you're the mayor. Like you're talking shit to, yeah, an NFL player. You were literally talking. I don't know why. I just don't know why people talk shit before a game. You know, especially like that. And then you know the Burrow had my ass comment, and I mean you saw so many guys say it. Chris Jones and. You know Willie Gay after the game, and like all these guys were defending Mahomes. It, like, it yeah, clearly, you guys thought it clearly had them fired up. Exactly. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's um, I don't know when people will learn. I love it. I mean, I love the trash talk. It's entertaining. It's it's fun to see. I mean, it's pretty cool to see NFL guys tweeting stuff and at each other and arguing. You just see the competitive nature come out, and it just makes the games that much more exciting with matchups and whatnot. I'm I'm, I'm wondering if we're gonna see any Kelsey shit talking going on brother to brother. I know I would talk right. crazy shit to either of my brothers if I was playing against him in the Super Bowl. Oh, like, you have to. I'm sure Jim Harbaugh still doesn't hear the end of it. So, you know. Oh, yeah. He can't sit at dinner. You can't sit at dinner and not hear something about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, look, two big coaching hires. Uh, Sean Payton, uh, the Saints got a first round and a second round pick for him. And uh, the Denver Broncos traded, I guess, the rest of their high round picks and uh, a lot of their money because the owner of Walmart owns the Broncos to go get Sean Payton. That's crazy, but I think it's a perfect fit, right? Sean Payton coached up an undersized quarterback to be incredibly effective in a system. I think that's what they're going for here. Uh, we'll see what happens as far as wins go, because I'm not totally sure that it's really going to translate to them like being a playoff team next year based off of what I saw. But if anybody's going to be able to fix Russell Wilson, I do think Sean Payton has the highest chance. I disagree, John. I, I I don't know if this is a good hire. I, it, it's the best hire you can possibly get for the Broncos, but you've just I think you've just made a shitty situation even tougher because you had to give up more to get him. You have to pay him a shit ton of money. I don't think Russell Wilson is fixable right now. I don't think that you can – the only comparison really with him and Breeze is their stature, their size. But in terms of like the mental side of the quarterback position, Drew Brees was light years ahead of – Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson has thrived off of just his athleticism and extending plays like he did in Seattle all those years. Um, that wasn't really Sean Payton's thing in New Orleans. It was pocket passer. It was breeze. It was accuracy. It was on time throws going through your progressions, avoiding sacks, 
And Russell Wilson, we saw him try a similar offensive style like that last year, and it wasn't a fit for he him. He wasn't locked in, yeah. I don't know, man. It scares me. Um, I hope it works out because I like Sean Payton, but this is a this is a hard ask of him to come in and turn this It's a reach. Around. I mean, and look, Denver clearly looked desperate to do. I mean, and this is an act of desperation. Re- yeah. yeah, they traded away the rest of their draft capital, and they paid him probably upwards of $25 million a year in order to get him there. They want him bad and they're hoping that he can fix this team. Like that, you're right. If anyone can do it, it is him. I just don't, I just don't think that anyone can do it. I just don't, I don't even think Sean Payton can do it. There's just, it's, it's rough, man. It's really, it's really rough. rough. It's a tough time um, in Denver. And then the other one to touch on, which, you know, has been highly praised by Mark and I as uh, D'Amico Ryans, who's the DC of the 49ers. Now the head coach of the Texans. I love this hire. I think it's a great hire. I think it's exactly what the Texans need right now. Um, and, you know, look, as Detroit fans, we know that rebuilding is a ugly, lengthy process. But so we won't know if this is a good hire probably until two, three years from now, if they make it that far, because the Texans seem to be running on a short fuse all the time. Um, but I think if anybody can turn that organization around, I think Ryan's, if you give him a couple years and actually pair him with a good GM and get all that stuff going in the right direction, they can make that team, you know, uh, a potential playoff team a couple of years down the road. This is a really good hire, John. It really is. Um, you know, he's a former player. He's got the defensive minded mentality that I think you bring into a team that needs that. And I think, you know, depending on who he gets as his offensive coach and who they get with that number one overall pick, or I'm sorry, with their second overall pick, um, you know, they're going to have, they're going to have the guys that they need. Um, to be successful. And I think that they'll build a defense first probably. And he'll, you know, he'll find the help on the offensive side of the ball. Right. And I think that he's the right guy for the job. I, this is about as good of a hire as you can get for the Texans. I was honestly surprised he took it. Um, but this is an awesome hire. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with this. He's well-deserving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that basically wraps it up for, for the news and the game coverage for this past week. Um, obviously, like I said, no game to look forward to this week unless you're you know a big fan of that super exciting Pro Bowl experience we're about to get. But, we did have Kellen, Mar- Kellen Moore too, John, I think. So oh, that's right. He got he got hired as the, the Chargers OC, which is massive. And look, we have saw what he's done in Dallas. Um, you know, we're all Dallas haters here, but uh, definitely huge credit to what he's done offensively with them. He's getting a, <laughs> no pun intended, a supercharged offense to work with. So uh, it should be exciting. It should be exciting. I, I think he'll be able to do more with Herbert than he was able to do with Dak. I just think they're different talents. But, you know, Chargers fans, at least they had this happen because the Joey, somehow when the Chargers have been out of the playoffs for multiple weeks, you have Joey Boza just getting... So embarrassing, I mean, dude. Like, how so hard is it? clearly just he has shut anger your mouth. issues. Yeah, clearly just, he just, has anger. Like, he's, even his family, the second that he turned around, I, that video of the Eagles fan just heckling a bows. They're, they're like, "Oh, come but, here, Joey! Like, get over here, Joey!" Like, I mean, and then the way, like, the, the, dude, he's such a meathead. The way he responded, he's like, "Oh, you're gonna send this to your butt buddies on Snapchat?" Like, dude, you just sound like a douchebag. And I'm not, I'm not a huge Boza fan. I mean, they're Ohio State guys. I think they both seem kind of douchey. Um, but that was bad. And then the whole game, I don't know if you saw the other videos, like they, he was in a suite up above and the Eagles fans were like underneath him just talking shit the whole time. I mean, the Eagles fans are a different monster, man. They're, they're rough. They're, they're real rough around the edges. Um, but that was hilarious. I think that was worth talking about. And no, definitely. The Chargers he, he, just can't win, man. Even when they're not playing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a good look at all, but, uh, yeah, sorry for forgetting those, but anyways, uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Look, we got, you know, essentially two weeks, but really one week left in this NFL season. Um, so we're really excited to kind of pregame for the Super Bowl. I'm sure that's going to be a blast uh, next week. And yeah, um, they got to figure out what we're going to do as far as offseason goes, whether it be mock drafts and things like get that free agency is going to be crazy. Um, so definitely stay tuned because, you know, just because the, the regular season and the postseason are over, doesn't mean that we're done creating content should be some, some really some good breathing room for the podcast. To talk There's going to be all stuff. kinds of content, you know, I think year round there's listen, the NFL is a year round thing. I mean, whether you're in season off season, like there's always news, there's always stuff to talk about. Totally. Um, but we have the best part of the, of the year coming up here. Um, in the next couple of weeks, Super Super Bowl prep, and then obviously the Super Bowl itself is one of the best days of the year. So, 
Yes, sir. Um, appreciate everybody tuning in and we will see you next week. And uh, thanks again to JP for coming on.